This morning we have a guest with us, and I will uh, allow him to come up, make introduction. Um, guest Pastor Thomas. And let's uh, give him our attention, try to be on our best behavior. <laughs> Charlie, no more. I'm not going to tell Dr. Lincoln. So, told Sam about I introduce myself. I normally do that when I go and preach somewhere because I assume most of you are not accustomed to someone sounding this good, carrying this accent. And I want to give you a few minutes to get used to it before we get to God's Word. Um, I do sound different because you cannot be from Arizona and sound this good. No offense. Um, I'm originally, as I tell you about myself, I have not alliterated my sermon, but my introduction is alliterated. Um, I am from Alabama, and I'm going to tell you about Allison, and I'm going to tell you about Anaya. God did that alliteration, I did not. Um, I grew up in North Alabama, a very small town, um, smaller than Pine. I know y'all find that hard to believe, but it is. Um, that is in between Birmingham and Huntsville. So I'm right in the, like the middle of North Alabama. If you know anything about that part of the country, or maybe you're a truck driver, which my dad was, so I understand a lot of the, the country, at least America, through um, its interstates, and we are half hour from each one. I'm literally from the middle of nowhere. Um, <laughs> just it's in Alabama. Y'all knew it was there. I mean, can verify it is. Um, I moved out here this summer. Um, will be 11 years ago. And when I say here, I mean Phoenix. Yes, I moved to Phoenix in the summer. My wife is that gorgeous. I'll tell you that right now. She originally is from Phoenix. Um, both of my girls, my wife and my daughter, um, have grew up here. Um, or grew up in the valley. Um, I married her, met her at college, and convinced her to move back. Um, and she, you know, she is more accustomed to the dry heat than I am. And my daughter is named Anaya. Anaya is nine years old, going on about 35, pretty hard. Um, I'm very new to this parenting thing. We met Anaya January, was a year ago. She moved into our house February, in February, and then we adopted her last August, and then she turned nine in September. So... If I give parenting advice, I understand I'm very new at it. I don't plan to in this sermon, but just I have to give that warning. People think I have a nine-year-old, and I know that I've been doing it for nine years. I haven't. Uh, after that part of a year, you know, that's, that's it. All right. Before I start, um, we are going to, y'all know we're going to be in Acts. We're going to be in chapter four. As y'all are turning there, um, I want to um, thank you. Um, genuinely, um, for being a faithful church. Um, I know you're a Southern Baptist church, and as I can see looking around here this morning from praying and knowing um, Dr. Sorry, Pastor John, forgive me, I will call him Dr. Lake most of the day, and I'm trying not to. Um, knowing some of your elders, I know you're just a faithful church. And I want to thank you because as being a Southern Baptist church, you've been giving to the cooperative program for how many years y'all have done that. Um, I'm a product of the cooperative program. Um, my undergraduate, y'all, the cooperative program in Southern Baptist specifically, I'm sorry, this might continue going, um, paid for like, I think I did the math, and it was like 25% of my undergraduate degree. And I'm currently in seminary, which paid for about half or better of that. 
in different ways or another. And y'all are a part of that. And for a boy that grew up on a dirt road in Alabama, whose daddy didn't graduate high school and mama didn't graduate college, the fact that I'm looking at a master's degree at the end, this, at the end of this year in December, and I'm actually in conversation and considering going to do PhD work, I wouldn't have had any hope for that if it hadn't been Southern Baptist churches like y'all, and specifically today, like y'all, for me to have any hope of doing that. Wouldn't have been possible for me. So, thank you. I'm in process of this, and so if you if you think that God speaks today, if you if you if you like what, how this goes and the accident doesn't bother you that bad, you helped create this. Yes, I'm going to preach in the power of the Holy Spirit, but the training and everything that I have had, you have helped you've helped God bring me along. The other side to that, remember I said I'm going to graduate in December? If today goes poorly, remember I'm not done yet. I'm going to get better. <laughs> so, if we're all covered on that, um, I want to read Acts chapter 4, starting in verse 23. I'm going to read through verse 31. When they had been released, they went to their own companions and reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they said this, they lifted up their voices to God with one accord and said, O Lord, it is you who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them, who by the Holy Spirit, through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said, Why did the Gentiles rage and the peoples devise futile things? The kings of the earth took their stand and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. For truly in this city they were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your purpose predestined to occur. And now, Lord, take note of their threats, and grant that your bondservants may speak your word with confidence, while you extend your hand to hear, sorry, to heal and signs and wonders take place through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place where they were gathered, where they had gathered together was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the Word of God with boldness. I apologize for stumbling through that. The, you know, this is just, I'm new to this fatherhood thing. Yeah. I prepared all week in the you know, English Standard Translation of the Bible. And at 4 in the morning when I got up and was getting everything ready to come up here, I think my daughter had borrowed it and put it somewhere else. And so I'm reading a different translation than all of my notes and everything. I crept through and my mind started to quote the other passage. I apologize. We're going to have to find out where she put it. This is a wonderful account we have in Acts of the early church. It's, as far as I know, the longest prayer in the entire book of Acts. Not all the Bible, but of this, this section here of Acts. This is the longest prayer. And it's of the church praying together. And so as we walk through this today, and we hear God's Word, let's understand that, yes, this is all about prayer. This is how and why we talk to our Heavenly Father and what He does out of that. But as y'all have so wonderfully done this morning, understand this is a group of believers praying together. This is corporate prayer. Literally what y'all just did. 2,000 years after 
As we look at this, we know here that they, in verse 23, is Peter and John. And them going to their own, to the companions here, that some translations put in to help us understand that because the text just says their own. Could have been the apostles, could have been family, but in all likelihood, from everything else in this context, it is just a group of believers. It's probably not the entire thousands they've been with, but a smaller group of them. But it's a group of them that come together. In all likelihood, it's a group that had been praying for them. Right? They knew they were arrested, they knew they were in trouble, and had gotten word about that, and had prayed for God and had them released. And this was them coming and giving the report. The report is worse than just that they got arrested. The report is they have been instructed very clearly that they are to not speak or teach anything in the name of Jesus. And they have been threatened that if they do this, there will be consequences for it. By the same group that the consequences they had against Jesus himself was to kill him. Which puts him in a weird place. Right? As y'all have been working through Acts, this great story of the man being healed, the man for 40 years of his life couldn't walk, and now he could. Not only could he walk, he could run around and tell everybody why he could walk and how it happened and what was going on. What a great spiritual and emotional high that had to have been to crash right into, don't say a word. Don't say this. Now they report to the group everything that happened. They report, they say, well, we, we simply told them we're going to obey God rather than man. But the response of the people, I mean, first off, I want to look at Peter and John and go, that's a good one. Like, if I'm in that group, right? Like, I want to be like, yeah, why didn't I think of that? That's what I was saying. Probably not. I'm not that eloquent. But, you know, slap them back. Good job. But instead, they immediately turn to prayer. And they call out to God. Oh, Lord, you have made everything. They immediately cry out to God, focusing on Him as Lord and Master. They are immediately, even in the words they choose and what they go to, leaning into the power of God. And then they quote this wonderful theology of Scripture in verse 25. This same idea that we go to, and sometimes we get bogged down in what, you know, discussions of proving inerrancy and that all the words of God are true and that the Bible is accurate and it all is and all that is true. And I, I'm a super student. I love that stuff. But this beautiful one line of God who spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of David. That sums up everything that we could write on the Word of God. It is God Himself speaking through the Holy Spirit using some human agent to give it to us. This is what they immediately go to. God, you are powerful and you have talked to us. You have told us what you want. 
You have told us who you are. You have told us what we need. They, they quote what we know of Psalms 2. This passage, because it says at the end of verse 2 in Psalms 2, it says anointed. The early church picked up on this and thought that this entire psalm referred to Christ, the anointed. They leaned on this psalm. But not only did they, they know it and they have it there, look how they immediately, when they get done with it, in verse 27, they stop quoting the psalm and they immediately go to their immediate context. God, what you said was going to happen... You said the Gentiles were going to rage against and the nations were going to plot against and they were going to work against you. God, you have said, you said a thousand years ago this would happen. But God, we saw it happen two weeks ago. We saw it happen yesterday. We see it happen today. And we know they're going to continue. God, we've seen this take place. And they have. They had seen groups, the Jews and the Gentiles, the religious leaders and the governmental leaders who despised each other, all of a sudden say, well, I may not like you. I do like you. I may not like you, but we've got a common, common enemy, so we won't like them less. And we will do it together. We know that story so much. But the pointing out that Herod and Pontius Pilate didn't like dealing with each other until this. The Jews and the Gentiles in Jerusalem didn't do things together until they come together to kill Christ, to rage against what God was doing. The believers in this prayer put that the Word of God that they know to be true they see their life in it. They see it working through. They cry out to God that whatever His hand had planned and predestined to occur would take place. They're sure God's not missed anything. Even though if we're honest at times... We feel like it'd make a little more sense to think, well, God didn't know that was going to happen. That makes it easier, I think, for us to think, God wouldn't let that happen. He must not have known. And that's simply not true. Even the heinous act of the cross, they're declaring here, He knew. He not only knew the cross would take place, He knew the people that would come together and form these weird alliances to make it happen. Isn't it interesting that right after they talk about God predestining everything to occur, when they get to verse 29, depending on what translation you have, uh, verse 29, and now, Lord, take note of your threats and grant that your, uh, the translation I'm reading is the NASB, it says bondservant. Some translations distinguish this word, some do not. I just want to point something very, I think, powerful in this. I'm sure you are aware, Luke wrote the book of Acts. Luke, a very intelligent man, very well-researched man, very precise man. 
in this just the passages I've read, 23 through 31 today, the idea of the word servant comes up at least four times. Where Luke actually writes a word that we translate out as some way of servant. And this is the only one where it's different. Where he actually picks a different word for servant. And he picks something closer to slave. But Luke didn't pick that word. These believers picked that word. But look at the moment they're in. God, you predestined all of this to happen. We're your servants. Whatever you want to happen, whatever you have predestined to occur, whatever your hand plans to bring about, whatever power you're going to do to make this happen, we are your servants and we're going to rest in your power and your plan for this. That was powerful to me in reading this. That's not new in my theology. I know that's true. But I feel like Luke took effort to point it out here. And it makes me think that the group had to have some type of distinction. I envision that, you know, in, in the prayer, they're not just saying, you know, your servant Jesus, or God, we're here to do whatever you would have us to do, or we're here to help your mission go forward, or God, we want to be a part of what you're doing, and we want to get on board. No, no, no. They're, they take a moment to, no, God, whatever you're going to do, whether we want it or not, we're your servant. This prayer is intriguing, and I want us to keep walking through this, but you see, they've not yet even asked for anything. This is the longest prayer in Acts, and two-thirds of it are quoting Scripture back, and then even more of that are just applying that Scripture to their life. I'm not saying to not ask for things in prayer, but it didn't make me think I'm asking them more than I'm praying the scripture. As these bond servants, as they make that request, they ask, and if we're all honest, I say we're all, there's probably one of you in here that actually would ask for confidence. I'm sure it's Charlie, and that's probably it. The rest of us are going to ask for the circumstances to change. Right? That's the amazing thing. They're they're threatening us. If we keep telling them about Jesus, they're going to try to hurt us, they're going to torture us, they're going to put us in jail, they're going to kill us, they're going to take our stuff, they're going to banish us. God, change them. Put new leaders in place. Change the leader's heart. That's all they ask. They ask for boldness. But again, look at what they just said. They ask for boldness to do whatever God has planned for them to do. They were looking to give God ideas or to change His plans, but they were looking to be faithful in whatever He was going to bring about. I love verse 30, the extension of the sentence. So the bond servants may speak with all confidence while you extend your hand to heal and signs and wonders take place. I love a group praying about 
God's plan. What He's predestined. And they're praying because they know what He's going to do. They know He's going to continue to heal people. They know He's going to continue to offer signs and wonders so that what just happened, gentlemen's healed, they get the chance to share Jesus, will continue to happen. They take it out from this vague, God, whatever you've planned to do is going to happen. To God, we know you're going to do these things because you've been doing these things. You've been doing these things yesterday and today. And we have full confidence you're going to continue to do them tomorrow. You know, oddly enough, this is not the first time I've broken a mic in the middle of a sermon. This is the first time in this church. Right here. Whatever... They started to take the generic, whatever God has predestined, which is very easy for us to say. And they started to transfer it to very specific things. You're going to heal people. You're going to bring about signs and wonders. We're going to have the chance to share about Jesus because you and your plan, you want people to know about Jesus and you're going to bring about those opportunities. God, we want to be ready for those opportunities. Side note here. We we have a tendency, and I say we just as an as an American church or Southern Baptist church, we have a tendency to pray for very broad things. We pray for whatever God wills. We pray for people to be healed. We pray for help of their own sin and strength and power. I'm not the first theologian to realize this. Or believer to think this is true. It seems to me the more specific we can be with our prayers, it seems the more focused we'll see our answers. Maybe the more powerful we'll see the answers. I'm not saying God doesn't answer generic prayers. Okay? But if we can move from God, help me be bolder in witnessing, or to be a better evangelist, to God. Help me be ready for when Rick, that co-worker that I'm a little bit afraid of at times, gives me an open door to just confidently and clearly share the gospel with him. You see, those prayers pray for ultimately the same thing. But one of them seems to either move our spirit or make us more aware of what's going on when God does it. Sorry. I'm not sorry, but that is a little side Back on track here. And then finally in verse 31, we see God show up and answer. The place was shaken. They were filled with the Holy Spirit. And they began to speak the word of God with boldness. The very precise thing they had asked for. God, we are going to have more chances. We want to be able to do this. And what I want us to look at today is a very complex outline of how they prayed, why they prayed, and God answered. It's not really complex, that was a joke. That didn't land, that's fine. <laughs> we see, we know why they prayed. They've been afraid. They were scared. 
They were afraid. I mean, come on. This is the same Peter that if he thought he was just going to be associated with Jesus, he would like cuss people out to be like, no, not me. Mm, Now he's a changed Peter. I think there's probably still some fear at least in realizing I may not be as bold in this as I think. I think that because that's what he asked for. Peter and John and the rest of the believers there knew the struggle was not that God wouldn't do something. They had full confidence God was still at work. Their worry was they would not act correctly with what he did. So they prayed. They prayed because they knew God was powerful enough and that he had proved himself faithful time and time again and that if they sought him now, he would prove himself powerful and faithful again. I mean, look at some of the things. They quote out that he created everything. They look at how he sent Jesus. How he died on the cross. How they sent the Spirit. This is why they turned to God. Again, I like to put myself in these situations. And I think if somebody walks in my church, I'm an elder at Northern Hills Community Church. I probably should have told you all that to begin with. I ain't proud of it, but I just didn't mention it. If somebody walks in our church, though, in Northern Hills, and was like, hey, um, so we were doing this thing, and the police officers and the governor all got together and told us we had to stop talking about Jesus. My, I'm just going to be very honest for a moment. My immediate response is, what did you do wrong? How, how, I'm sure you weren't just talking about Jesus. You were doing something else terrible with it. Let's, let's, adjust, let's adjust what you're doing. Let's get better packaging for Jesus. Let's, let's get this more polished out. Let's get your presentation a little better. That way you won't get in trouble. That's wrong. I'm just trying to be very honest with you. If you're sitting there thinking, well, I would have never just started this prayer. I'd have had a different plan. Me too. I would have had a different plan. But they didn't. And why? It's because they knew God was going to do whatever He was going to do. And He was powerful enough let them be active in it and to strengthen them in it. When we look at how they prayed, they acknowledged God's power and His control. I wonder, every time I started reading through this in the past few weeks, is the first part of this prayer they're reminding themselves of what God has done? I can't just imagine they've been on this roller coaster, right? Crippled, not crippled man, ex-crippled man walking around, really exciting. We're telling people about Jesus. Emotional crash. We're now arrested. We're being threatened. This is kind of scary. And after this crazy just roller coaster, they had to like reestablish in their own hearts. God, you are powerful. You've done this. You created the world. You brought about all of this. You even brought about your own son dying. The only way I'm going to die is if you're okay with me. I don't need to change my plan. I need to trust you. Amen. Which is the next thing they did. 
They trusted in whatever God was going to do. That's hard. And I know that's really easy to sit here and hear, and it's easy for me to stand here and say. I know it's much harder in the actual moments when things are scary. But as we look at what the earlier brothers and sisters in Christ did, that's how they went about it. They acknowledged God was powerful. They trusted that whatever He was going to do was for good. And they asked them, they asked the Father to make them able to play their part and to have strength in it. And for us, looking at that, there's a couple very key things we can take from this. First, I'll tell you personally, I am just I want more scripture in my prayers. I'm very theological in my prayers. I'm very, I very much take the things I know to be true about God and I, I pray through those often. But after preparing for the sermon, I am I have begun to wonder and committed to myself to pray more scripture. Because immediately when these believers were in trouble, they didn't just turn to the Father to pray, but they let the words his words that were already in their heart spill out. So for us, to quote more scripture, should we be pouring more of God's word into our heart? So we have it ready for when we need to pray. We can also see that this group understood their life through scripture. Okay, and that's easy to miss, but if we slow down and go back through this, what did they do? They quoted Psalm 2, and these very, these very true statements, the Gentiles are going to rage against God, they're going to war against Him, the nations are going to fight against this, they don't want your work to happen, Lord. And they immediately understood how their immediate context, their life, was playing out that text. It's very easy for us to turn to God's Word and know it's true and know it's powerful, but feel it to be distant. Everything in here happened over at least 2,000 years ago. It can feel so far away. But these early believers were taking texts that were just just far away, at least a 1,000 for them, and immediately applying it to their life. This turned out to help them not only pray better, but to understand what God was doing. They understood their life through Scripture. Some of us will have a problem asking for strength. We either view that we're already strong enough. Maybe. Probably not. Actually, no way that we're strong enough on our own. But some of us, some of us will want to look at the circumstances in our life and think, God, you love me so much. You're such a good father. You don't want this bad thing to happen to me, so make it go away. Two things I want us to think about in that. 
Because I keep saying some of us, but I think all of us do that in different areas. First, do we think we're better than Jesus? We are loved by our Heavenly Father. That is absolutely true. And I might argue that God loves me more than He loves you. I'm not arguing that, but I could. But there's no way I can argue He loves me more than Christ. The second member of the Trinity. I can't, I can't even fathom how to do that. But some of us seem to pray wanting to miss the things Jesus went through. When He told us we would. Now, there's nothing wrong with praying for circumstances to change. Jesus did this in the garden. Right before going to the cross of God, if there's any other way, I want the other way. If there is an option B, I'm taking the sight unseen. But if not, I want what you're going to do. We should not think that God loves us so much He won't let us experience pain or fear. I know that's hard to think about, but as I've learned this past year, sometimes pain helps us grow. If I let my daughter feel the effects of some of her consequences, she matures to where she doesn't want to face those consequences and she starts ordering her life to not have them. Scripture's clear. God will chastise us at times. And I, I'm, I'm slowing down and I'm taking time here because some of you are sitting here today and you are every day praying for God to change something in your life. When He doesn't want it to change, He wants you to grow. And you were actively praying against the will of God to your own detriment. You were wanting those circumstances to go away so that you'll feel better when God is wanting them to stay because He's growing you to something in them. I'm not saying that's... I don't know most of you are. I'm not saying that for everything you're going through. But if you feel like you have unanswered prayers that you have put before your Heavenly Father time and time again... Maybe he's trying to grow you. And if you look what our other brothers and sisters in Christ did here, you can change from God, remove those circumstances, to grow me in these circumstances. Let me live how you want me to live during this time. people from what God is doing. Okay? So don't feel bad for me in this story. Don't be proud of me in this story. Don't worry about any of that. But I tell you this story to maybe be the 40-year-old man walking up to you and going, Jesus is real. Okay? Uh, Me and my wife have experienced uh, um, the loss of a couple children. Early miscarriages and during pregnancies we've lost a few of them. 
own. And the first one, it wrecked us. We didn't know what to do. And we went from this emotional roller coaster. We were so excited about what God was doing. We were going to have a kid. We'd been married just a few years. This was going to be great. It was going to be wonderful. And we we um, followed the normal rules of we weren't going to tell anybody except for you know grand, grandparents because while well, they get mad if you don't tell them. Um, we told our parents, and then we were going to wait however many weeks we needed to until it was safe and then we could tell people. We lost our child before that time came. And so we walked through grieving that loss without most of our church knowing what was happening to us. And I'm not talking about on the brains, I'm talking about the people that we were in small groups with and the people that our kids call their kids call us aunt and uncle and they're around us all the time. They didn't know. We eventually told them. And God did a lot. And he ended up using that a lot, especially just in him working in people's lives through that. But the second time, we decided we were going to enjoy being parents for as long as we were, no matter how short or long that may be. Even if it was just a few weeks in the womb, we were going to enjoy it. We were going to tell people and be excited. And so we told everybody. And we had a, um, a short period of time where we thought we're going to lose this child. Just one of those weird things you get you know, in an email from a doctor or you see paperwork and you're not sure in how you read it, which way to understand it. And the doctor's appointment wouldn't be like a week later and we would actually find out. And so it was about a week of me living in sheer terror that we would lose a second child and I would become angry with God. That was my fear. And I prayed, and we were, I prayed, God, we can't lose this child because I will become mad at you. And I wasn't using it as a threat. I was begging him, God, I don't want to be angry with you, but I'm telling you, this will well up in me. I can't take that. I can't live in that God. I can't handle those circumstances. But we did. And me and my wife have spoken, and even a few years of moving now, every time we talk about the second miscarriage, it was an easier process. Not because we had been through grief before. Grief hurts each time. And the only thing we could take it back to was our brothers and sisters knew what was going on. They were then actively praying for us. And where I had failed to do everything I've recommended to you in this sermon, everything I can see in this text of them praying for the strength of God, not praying against their circumstances, trying to see, God, you're working either way. What are you doing in me? I had not done any of that. But as I talked to the men in my life that knew what was going on, that's what they were praying for. That's what they were bringing before God. To strengthen us in it. And we were. So I tell you that because I want you to see this is powerful. God is sovereign. He's going to do 
whatever glorious plans He has planned to do. So much of our prayer should be God help us to do rightly in those circumstances. I'm not saying don't pray to change circumstances. But pray as Jesus did in the garden. There's another way. God, I want it. But if not, prepare me for the cross you set before. I want to pray for us as we close and as you all come up. Father, you know we are weak. Lord, Father, you are strong. As we take some time to focus on you and the things you are doing in this world to make yourself known and to call your people to you, God, prepare us. Prepare us for whatever part you have planned for us to play in this. Give us the strength to speak boldly when we need to. God, give us the courage to just speak when we are alone. In silence and Amen. Would you